Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here's the thing about Germany. Why I made a curator's deck of the Hollywood French. Community. Unity. Heart. 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 Welcome to another great episode of Hashtag Observations TFR by Crazy D with my special guest host, my sister Tanya M. Congress. Let's check out the mic. Let's see how everything is going this morning. How you feeling this morning? Feeling pretty good. I was up and ahead of the game this morning. Um, it's a, a typical fall day here in Cleveland, Ohio. Kind of dreary. Looks like there's a chance of rain outside. Um, but I'm doing okay. I am plenty of sunshine. I am the sunshine. <laughs> and so here's today. What do I have in this bowl today? I have, and I'm going to get this in front of the camera. Here we go. I have frozen strawberries and ginger. And of course, I have me a cup of barley water. Cup of barley water. I have it in this kind of cup this time, so you can't see the cloudiness of it, but it helps to flush the system out, especially if you're retaining water or anything like that. It helps to flush it out, and it really does the job. And without you having to um, go to the bathroom uh, every hour on the hour. So it's really amazing how that works. It took me a while to try that out. I had heard about it a few years ago and I just never did it, but it is, and it's very inexpensive. You get, when you order the barley from Amazon, you get three packs for like $10, uh, three bags for like $10. So it'll last you a while. But um, we have another exciting uh, information field show for you today. And uh, how you doing this morning, Dad? Hey, you know, I'm doing as well as can be expected under the circumstances. I have my apple, I have my grapes. Can we get them here? Grapes and mm-hmm. grapes, grapes, you know, grapes. Oh, you know. So, you know, it's pretty good. And uh, just finished having my oatmeal this morning, thanks to my wife. So I appreciate that. With a little touch of honey and some more mixed nuts and vegetables. It's always, I mean, excuse me, fruit. And it's always good. So, people. First, as always, we have to give shout out and drop outs to everyone watching us on Periscope, Vimeo, FB, and the Film Review Life channel on YouTube. Make sure you go to the Film Review Life channel and smash that subscribe button, smash that like button, leave the comments in the comment section we will read them live on the air also on fb make sure that you friend like share friend like follow all of the pages 
and we so that we can stay in contact with you so you will know when we are on right so what is today's topic well it's part two it's part two to yesterday's phenomenal show that was information filled part two possibilities and probabilities the disagreeable bandmate that's right part two Possibilities and probabilities, the disagreeable bandmate. What do we mean by that? It's the last thing you want is that monkey on your back, but the pressures placed on an individual to deliver in show business, the music industry is tremendous. Yet, bright eye bushy tail newcomers venture into the trappings of the business called show but are the strong the only ones who survive what if you are not willing to go along with the demands on your body and soul what are the possibilities and probabilities as an individual outside of the team what about the disagreeable bandmate? Let's discuss. The phone lines are open. 213-943-3358. If you have ever been a disagreeable bandmate in the music business, in the industry, call up 213-943-3358. So listen, yesterday, we talked about many things yesterday that had to do with situations that happen in the industry, right? And of course, we started, you know, talking about, of course, the music that, you know, was put out during the time between 1990 and 1996 we just touched on it a little bit the music that was put out by yours truly as you hear it playing in the back there also we talked to my sister tiny because at the same time in the span of 1990 to 93 my sister was at the College of Music in Berkeley in Boston, Massachusetts, right? And she had went on tour with this Eurodance uh, crew, a group called Snap, with the lead vocalist being Turbo B, right? And so we started and telling a parallel story of music business, music success, and how it could have all culminated in 1993 at a turkey jam where my sister potentially would have already been on tour with Tony, 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 and would have been able to say when that mixtape went across, oh, that's my brother, bring him back, and then the whole trajectory would have been different. Smash the share button, smash the like button as we go through this. But what about, what about the disagreeable 
bandmate. What about the disagreeable bandmate? You know, we have always seen those and heard about those, the disagreeable bandmate. Tanya, would you say that you were a disagreeable bandmate, yes or no? Yes. All right, so we're going to get to it. But as usual, we have to start with some memes, right? That was a brief recap of what we were talking about yesterday as we move forward. Now, we have to get into a mind state and not a mindset. So let's start right here. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Alvin Toffler, right? That's his his uh, viewpoint on the 21st century, right? And as we discussed, my sister discussed being, coming from the traditional bands where there were multiple instruments to play, to make the sound, bringing it down to when she went on tour with Snap, it was MIDI which is basically slaving multiple instruments, a drum machine, a keyboard, something else. And you can slave it together through MIDI to build your sound and you eliminate the horn section. You eliminate the guitar section. You, you eliminate even the drummer if necessary. And you have it all in one box controlling everything. Is that correct? Is that what you ran into when you were first introduced to Snap? And tell them what Eurodance is. Eurodance is a spinoff of like, it's a cross between disco and house kind of, and it's the European version of it. So it's very, uh, let's see, you're talking about maybe 130 uh, RPMs um, so it's pretty, you know, do, 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 do. Now, Snap's music wasn't going at that RPM, but they were, they were falling right in the middle of it. They had a very strange sound, and that sound was kind of prevalent at that time between several groups, like Mantronics and Two in a Room and uh, CNC Music Factory, all Black Box, all those groups like that. They had that sound, and it. it it was electronic. It was a lot of electronics mixed with uh, other, mostly keyboard stuff, keyboard and drum machine, and uh, you know this MIDI instruments like D was describing. Now on the tour that we were on, you had a drummer, you had a bass player, a guitar player, two keyboard players. Yet the music itself did not lend itself to that type of band. And so there was there was a, a discrepancy going on because uh, Turbo he wanted a band and he also is a drummer himself, so he wanted a band and so he was integrating this sound 
And I don't know, I didn't get a chance to read the reviews at the places we were at. I know all of them were not good because people were expecting that Euro sound they were hearing on the videos. And so they weren't exactly getting that on the tour, even though we had some of that stuff going on with slaving the keyboards and getting some of the sounds like that. That was coming through. That was actually a sample. And all you had to do, I could have played that live, but you hit a button and it just played. It was a sample. So at the time I was getting used to, I was crossing over into that other set because I had, I came from the era where there, it was no MIDI. Everything, every instrument was up there. You got a percussionist with several percussion instruments. So I came from that era. And so I was integrating into that era, but it was, it was an experience, but it was some discrepancies on several different levels on that particular tour. And I'll stop there and we can pick back up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So look, people, the grueling nature of the industry, the business of show and the business of music, the music business, the business of music, the music business, the, the show business, business of show, is a it has a grueling nature to it, right? And this has been circulating, this meme has been circulating. You're gonna say, Crazy D, what does this have to do with the story, of your sister's story with Snap, Turbo B, the Euro dance sound, touring around the world, what does this have to do going from Japan to Australia, etc., etc., traveling back to the States? What does that have to do? What does Wendy Williams, former DJ, DJ Booth says, y'all have no idea what's really going on concerning the talk show host? Then the person who is concerned writes underneath the image of Booth and Wendy Williams. Wendy, you need to stop your show and seriously get help. Your camp is just watching you spiral instead of sending help. Shame on them. I'll be boycotting the show until you get checked into rehab. Drugs will kill you. Please get help. Underneath, uh, Bevy says, she don't listen to them. Probably why DJ Booth left the show. And then B DJ Booth comments. And let me see if I can see there it is. He says, yep, exactly. And it will all come out. Y'all have no idea what's really going on. And everyone there is afraid to speak out because they don't want to lose their jobs. This is going to play out bad. I feel sorry for the workers and victims. Have a blessed day. So he as an individual could not stick around and watch his friend spiral out of control, right? 
So what D, what does this have to do? You're talking about the music industry, show business, business of show, business of music. What does this have to do with your sisters touring with Snap and potentially having being able to tour with Tony, 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 and why she ultimately turned down the opportunity with Tony, Tony, Tony. Smash the share button, smash the like button. We are bringing information today so that you do not have to go through the same situations. You can learn from her story, his story, our story, so you do not have to go through the same things and you will know what pitfalls to avoid. So now, it's 1990 again. I start my college in the summer in, a, in the class program. My sister starts her college in the fall, traveling over to Boston, Massachusetts to go to Berkeley College of Music. There, all of the connections are there and there are people who actively search out talented people from the from Berkeley College of Music to go on tour, to go on war, world tours. And when you are affiliated, it's the possibilities that come because probably, probably you will be tapped because talented people respect talented people. And so does talented people put in good word for people who are truly talented. Those who are not talented never put in a good word for talented people because there is envy and jealousy there. So as my sister said, being at an institution where everyone was talented, that were on a certain level and exceeding even that level, opportunities came which brought about probability that possibly but more than possibly probably you would be on tour right so this is where we pick up now remember we told you yesterday smash the share button smash the like button uh Tag your people in it because we are giving information about the music business, the business of music, show business, the business of show on this episode, part two, possibilities and probabilities, the disagreeable bandmate, right? So now, as we left you uh, yesterday, we were speaking on the snap tour and we didn't go into the intricacies and the details so we're gonna rewind a little bit and get to why my sister decided to turn down the tony 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 shoe in because my sister's name was ringing bells at the schoolhouse okay her professionalism and her ability to do the job was ringing bells there was no white balling all right going on. So, let's go back to the Snap Tour, right? So, you're in Florida, right? Miami, you said. Is that right? 
Miami. Uh, Orlando. 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 You're in Orlando, Florida for the rehearsals. And the lead singer falls out with Turbo B. Now remember, these are personal experiences and our observations and opinions on these personal experiences, right? So she drops out and someone opens their mouth and says that you can sing and then pick it up from there. Okay, so uh, originally on the recorded track of The Power, it was um, longtime great vocalist Penny Ford. It was her voice that was on that track, even though in the video you had uh, somebody lip syncing. Uh, probably couldn't sing at all, but you know, they all, all of them went and got those skinny model types and Europe, kind of Euro looking model types, black, you know, and would have them in the videos. Kind of like, like, the song. like uh, Millie Vanilli, right? Millie exactly. Vanilli. Exactly. Yeah, right. Actually, the guy who was actually singing that, he was heavy set, but I guess the Euros mm -hmm. don't like to see heavy set people. And most of like mm -hmm. uh, Martha Wash, which I got to meet Martha Wash, uh, mm -hmm. she she sung on a lot of the uh, music too. CC Music Factory in particular, but they would put skinny Euro black models in those spaces who really not necessarily had those type of pipes. So continue on. Uh, I think Martha Watch also sang on Black Boxes stuff as well. In the same scenario, you had a model lip syncing. So some kind of way, um, you know, we're at the rehearsals. Penny didn't show up and she had some, it was some kind of contractual uh, discrepancy. All right. I didn't know the details of that, nor should I have been privy to them. I was, I was a, a hired on band member, so I shouldn't have known. But they can't somebody open their mouth with my unit it had to be i don't know which one of them was it but it had to be either the other keyboard player or the guitar player that i came with said that i could sing i think it was a guitar player because uh, i was playing with her she had come from new kids on the block but i was playing with her in an all-female band at berkeley and so she that's the only way she she that's the only person that knew i could sing so um, they told them and they came to me offering me a double duty gig. Now, I was not experienced. I was not a unionized musician. I didn't have any idea how much I was supposed to be getting paid for doing pulling double duty. However, uh, what they offered me just didn't sound right. So I didn't go with it. Um, they offered me 250 extra dollars. And I thought to myself, I'm like, well, you're gonna save on a, fir a first class flight because you're gonna have me riding coach. Um, you're gonna sa serve on another save on another suite because he gets a suite to himself, and I'm sure she was going to too. So um, you're gonna have me, you know, bunking with with other people. So you saving money right there. So I'm like, uh, you can round this up to two thousand because the initial agreement was a thousand dollars a week plus two fifty per diem. And that probably was a low ball too. It was probably a low ball, but I didn't know, you know, and it was probably a low ball, but I told him, I said, why don't you, I, I'm going to need for you to increase that to 2000. 
um, and then I'll do the other part. And because it, it was going to be extra work for me, and extra work is not actually fun. I like to just play for either I'm going to sing or I'm going to play. My playing and singing, you know, one takes away from the other one, so you kind of compromise a bit. But I was able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so I went on and did. Let's that. get this right now. Let's, so let's give context. So you're in Orlando, Florida, and the main singer doesn't show up. So it's not like you were already over in Japan and no. the lead singer didn't show up. This is before the tour even kicks off and they're coming to you and saying, we want you to be the lead singer next to Turbo as well as the keyboard player on the, on the tour, right? Is that is that right? right? So continue on. So that yep. so right there, you haven't even got on, you got on the plane to get to Orlando, but you haven't even got on the plane to travel nine hours over to Japan mm-hmm. yet to even kick off the first leg of the tour. This is, this is um, harrowing stuff. Continue. So this is what was going on. This is what I was able to piece together is that this, like I told y'all yesterday, this was a Pepsi Cola Reebok sponsored tour. So anybody who knows anything about tours that are being sponsored by major corporations, there's major money that is advanced to everybody that's going to be on that show. There's major money advanced to hold their spot or secure that artist is going to be part of the program. So they advanced them some money. So that money that's advanced is supposed to pay your band, your uh, management that's coming with you, whoever you bring in with you, assistance or whatever. It's supposed to pay everybody that's involved. But what happened was that money came and that money got spent on personal items for Turbo. And so... Uh, there was no, there was very little of that money left that they had advanced. Go right. ahead. So let's look at a couple of definitions, right? Now, a benefactor is a little bit different than a sponsor, right? A sponsor is usually they, they hand the money and then they move off to the side. This is a situation that, of what we're talking about here. Pepsi, Cola, Reebok, they paid the money, they gave it out, and then they pretty much set up and wait for you to come to wherever the location is, and they have their banners and everything set up, and you are basically the face of what they have chosen to Sponsor, and you are the face, and they believe that you can sell their product because you have such an image. Now, that is not what a benefactor is. That is a benefactor is different than a sponsor. A benefactor is more hands-on. Hands-on. Okay, all right, all right. Benefactor is an individual that provides money or other resources to an individual group or organization. Antonyms of benefactor, foe, opponent, disfavorer, antagonist, rival, back friend, like a backbiter, oppressor, synonyms of benefactor, friend, 
supporter, contributor, upholder, well-wisher, favorer, well-doer, patron, benefactor, and beneficiary. Beneficiary is the person who receives the benefit. Benefactor is the person who gives money for some other thing of value. That gives money for some other thing of value to another person. For some other thing of value to another person. The F was off the OR there, but that's what it means. Okay. So when you're in the music business or the business of show, there are often benefactors, right? We'll get more on that probably in future episodes, but we just wanted to put that definition down and let you know the difference between a benefactor and a sponsor. Sponsors hands off, benefactors more hands on. All right, so continue on. And so along with these sponsorships, there are other perks. So once you get there, you know, you're getting their product, you're wearing their product. Uh, with Reebok, you know, you're getting a, your pick of the tennis shoes, you wear their shoes, their t-shirts, uh, carry their fanny, you know, wear their fanny packs and all this stuff, you know, to promote their brand. And with Pepsi-Cola, the same thing, bags, uh, insulated bags to keep your cans of, of of Pepsi, cold, things like that, things, promotional items, if you will. So we got a lot of that. And it was a tennis tournament for the stars that was also being um, sponsored by them. So it was actors, actresses, and musicians. Everybody was on this, this thing. So we get um, to, we see that there's this situation. I'm now the singer. I got to do all these vocal parts now. All of these vocal parts have this gospel belting type vocals, which my voice, I can I can pull that off. I can bust one off right now. However, my voice is not trained to do that on six songs straight, night after night after night after night. So at one point during the tour, and I'm gonna be skipping around at different time periods during it, we're in Japan. And wait, were we in Japan? Yeah, we were in Japan. And my voice goes completely out. Completely out. I mean, I'm I'm talking like I'm talking to y'all and there is no sound coming. It was actually a scary thing. I never had laryngitis before. I've had, you know, things going when you have a cold. You know, sometimes your voice is affected. I've been hoarse before. I um, From singing, I've been hoarse before. But I've never had laryngitis. And no matter what you do, nothing is coming out. No matter how much you press, you can press your, your pipes, you know, your vocal cords, you can press, you can, there is nothing coming out, nothing. Sound is completely gone. So they, uh, so one evening, and this was an evening we were not performing. One evening, there's a knock at the door and it's uh, all of us, uh, well, the musicians are sitting there with the road manager's wife. 
and the door is a knock at the door and she opens the door and this man comes in with this briefcase. It's, you know, if you guys know what those pharmaceutical briefcases cases look like, kind of thin, hard shell, about, you know, 24 inches wide, something like that. And she said, this is Dr. So-and-so. Uh, he treats Stevie Nicks and Cher. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have a humorous thought process. Go ahead. Allegedly, he services or or works with Cher and Stevie Nicks. Allegedly. Continue on. Right. Allegedly. That's what I was told. So I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not really an impressive uh, resume because they always look high. So that's not actually an impressive resume to me. That they, so he goes to open this case and there's all these needles and vials. And I'm looking at I'm looking at him and he says, well, I said, what is that? Because depending on what he tells me, it ain't gonna happen. And so I'm like, you know, I'm writing it down. I had to write it on a, a thing. What is that? And but, but what 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 exactly? Let's back up a little bit. What exactly did they prep you to tell you that they were going to do? Because they had to have told you what they were proposing ahead of time. So let's back up a little bit and give context on that. Well, no, they they <laughs> I had went and bought me some Vicks uh Vicks have. I had bought the Vicks the liquid Vicks that you pour in the hot water in the sink and you kind of breathe over it and let it get so that I was trying to self-medicate and self-do it and I wasn't told anybody was coming so that was strike number one I wasn't told anybody was coming then when he comes you tell me who he is I guess that's supposed to give it some weight which it really didn't but then he goes on to say no all this is don't be uh, don't be concerned all this is is a cortisone I'm going to give you a cortisone shot and it's gonna bring your voice back. So I said, okay, it's a cortisone shot. I said, well, I knew that cortisone, um, I didn't know cortisone was good for anything but skin, but okay. So it was a cortisone shot. So he gave me this shot and by within hours, my voice was back. Okay, so that must've been a very high dose. Let's look up cortisone and give the definition of what Cortisone is right. Let's look it up. Let's see what it is. Smash the share button, smash the like button because we are giving some business of music, business of show on this episode 45, part two possibilities and probabilities. So what is cortisone? Hold on just a second. Yes, people. Smash the share button. Smash the like button. Tag your people on it. People who are in the music or want to be in the music business, you need to know the information that we are putting down for you this morning and this afternoon. 
We're constantly bringing okay. you. We're constantly bringing you information to help build your mind state, so you won't be in that mindset. Your eyes will be wide open. Let, let me tell you something. Cleveland people, in particular, read a lot of books and have a lot of experiences based on what they have read and what they haven't read, some come back and inform and give their experience, right? So when people come, they say, oh, you know about publishing and copyrights and royalties and all that? Even if you're not exactly on it, they're like, hmm, we need to find someone dumb dumber dumb is to be able to take advantage of because someone who knows about publishing and copyrights and, and, and royalties and everything and they know how to fill all that out and say well hey I'm going to get a deal and you're only going to give me seven seven cents or seventy cents or, let, or one cent of my that's the deal and then I owe you that don't sound right. But anyway, so let's go through what cortisone is. Okay, so I look I had to look up two things in order to um, bring it bring it home for everybody. So a cortisone shot are injections that uh, can help relieve pain and inflammation in a specific area of the body. They're most commonly injected into joints such as your ankle, elbow, hip, knee, shoulder, spine, or wrist, even the small joints in your hands or feet might benefit from the cortisone shot. The injections usually contain a corticosteroid medication and a local anesthetic. That's where, you know, you're getting high comes in at. Often you can um, receive one at your doctor's office. Because of potential side effects, the number of shots you can get in a year is generally limited. Now, uh, in the context of being used for voice, steroids are used because remember, this cortisone shot um, was a form of steroids, which I didn't know until I spoke to my mother afterwards. But steroids are used to reduce swelling anywhere in the body and the vocal cords are no exception. If the vocal cords are swollen, steroids will reduce the swelling and the vibration will improve, making the voice sound better, said better. Some singers always have swelling due to voice misuse. Now, remember what I said, after the one that I had, my voice was back within hours. It was back within hours. So that means that must've been a very high dose of whatever that was. Now I didn't get, I didn't feel high or anything like that, thankfully, but it brought my voice right back. So what is that saying? Potentially, this is how stuff gets started. This is just how stuff gets started with people getting hooked on drugs and stuff in the music industry or acting industry, any, any industry. This is just how it gets started now. This was not recreational. This was medical uh, to suppose it because if it had been any recreational drug, I would have turned it down immediately. But this was medical 
and he gave me the shot and it came right back. Now say for instance, three or four days later, my voice went out again from being overworked. Um, you know, they was gonna try to come with another shot, but I told them after I spoke to my mother and she hit the roof, she was like, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 we wanna keep that in context. We wanna keep it, keep it in context, we wanna give it to them, right? What are the side effects of using the cortisone shot? What are the unwanted side effects of that? See, we're gonna be, we're gonna pull back the skin and the layers of the onion very succinctly. See, there are what you would call uh, side effects that thus need something else to take care of the side effect, and that something else has a side effect, which means you got to get something else for that side effect to take care of that side effect to take care of that side effect but that's got a side effect which means you need something else to take care of that side effect that has a side effect and it goes down it's like a domino effect so what are the side effects of taking the cortisone shot too often cartilage damage death of nearby bone joint infection nerve damage temporary facial flushing, temporary flare of pain and inflammation in the joints, temporary increase in blood sugar, tendon weakening or rupture, thinning of nearby bone or osteoporosis, thinning of skin and soft tissue around the injection site, whitening or lightening of skin around the injection site. So you take this cortisone shot and your voice comes back in a couple of hours and you're able to sing and you feel and it feels even stronger and everything and no one's telling you sing from the diaphragm sing from the diaphragm not from the throat no one's telling you that right no they just want you to get out there i got the pot okay all right so they got you i got the pot and you you know no no diaphragm straight from the throat worse i, I hate hearing singers that sing from the throat. I'm telling you, they really have no training whatsoever, but it comes from the diaphragm. You're supposed to speak from the diaphragm. Like I'm speaking through my throat right now, but when you speak from your diaphragm, then it comes up. Ugh. But anyway, another story. Um, So you're feeling good. And then how soon afterwards did you call mom? And what did you exactly say? And what did she exactly say? Well, I called mom when I could talk. Because if I had tried to call her before, wasn't nothing going to come out. She was going to be worried because she knew I was out of the country. So I told her what had happened and everything. And I told her I had took this cortisone shot. And she said, girl, don't take no more of that sugar honey iced tea. Um, that's steroids. I said, oh, is it? I didn't know that. So we talked for a few more minutes and then I let her off the phone. And so here comes the manager's wife saying to me, well, you know, um, if your voice, no, she said, if your voice goes out again, we always have him on standby. I said, well, no, I won't be taking no more shots. And she says, well, if your voice goes out and you don't take the shot, 
we're gonna have to call the entire tour. I said, okay. I said, that's what's going that's what we'll have to do because I'm not taking no more shots. Okay, so wait a minute. So you right then became the disagreeable bandmate. Part two, possibilities and probabilities. What is the possibility that you became the disagreeable bandmate and what was the probability that at that point they weren't on pins and needles and at that point they weren't already saying that this person is not willing to pay play ball so you were in japan when this happened right how many shows had you done already and then let's get into what Japan was like for those who have never traveled? Um, we had done two shows because we were in several cities in Japan. We were in Tokyo, Osaka, Yokohama, and there was one more. It was four different cities in Japan we were at, and we were in Tokyo first. And um, so we had done Tokyo, and I think it was the, after the Osaka show that that was the second show in Japan. So that one shot, you know, carried me through the rest of the tour, but it, it thank goodness for them. Um, because I wasn't, I'm serious about that. I wasn't taking any more shots or you could send me home and get you another singer to bring on the road or whatever, but it didn't mean that much to me like that, right? It was an experience and an opportunity, but I wasn't all caught up in it, right? And I, this is something that we want to teach you guys. Right, so did the attitudes change? Did the situation change? Did the morale on the tour change? Because everyone was on pins and needles because you were the disagreeing, the disagreeable bandmate. Um, just with her, you know, the manager and his wife, they were kind of strange acting. Some people on the tour didn't know anything about that incident. And then, but the, the tour, they were already on pins and needles because the leader or, or the, the main part of the act had spent all the money. So they were paying us in cash. They were paying us in cash. You know, it was no cash app or anything like that. They were paying us in cash money. And then at one point, it went from cash money to traveler's check. Travelers checks. That means you were piecemealing day to day. You were piecemealing. Now, what else was happening was besides the Pepsi Cola Reebok tour we were there for because the money had been spent, you had to make money in order to keep paying the people you had. So they had unbeknownst to Turbo, they had booked gigs in in venues. It's probably the size of if you remember the Agora or um, some were the size of like maybe the House of Blues, something like that. But in his mind, that's out of my league. That's too small. So when we walk up in these places, you can hear him cussing like across. Like you, can, <laughs> you can hear him cussing through the walls. He like, what the f is this? I'm not doing this s. And I'm, I'm thinking any minute now, a table gonna flip over or something. Because, you know, he was a kind of sizable guy. He was big and intimidating. And so when he went off like that, 
you know, I knew his bark was bigger than his bite because, you know, he he and I are of the same sign. And his birthday was, you know, eight days after mine. So I knew his bark was bigger than his bite unless he was really, really pissed for real. Um, but just his stature intimidated all of them. Everybody on there was tiny. I probably was the next biggest thing after him. Um, so he's, he's clowning and going off about these venues and then they're, they're getting the money from these venues and then they're paying us, you know, and it's funny because I'm picking up all of this by just keeping my ear open and just watching what's going on. So it was already, they were already on pins and needles from the start, but everybody's trying to get their coin some kind of way. So so they were honorable in that way that the management was honorable that they made sure that the people were paid mm -hmm. by doing this and he pretty much they made turbo sacrifice for what had been done right. earlier but they made so they were honorable in that aspect they were i mean uh he had spent the money they were the management they had to make this happen why because they were the management and when these on these these corporate corporate sponsored tours there's contracts so ain't no forfeiting the contract and nobody yeah i'm sure they didn't have the money to give back to them and the money was already spent so they were creative in making something happen and getting these other gigs and these venues it was probably easy for them to book him there because of the level of a star that he was at the time so they those venues were probably overjoyed to to have him appear in their establishment, you know. But they were making it happen. They, they had to make the money to pay the people that they had with them. They could not pay it without a pending lawsuit. So they were being creative. I can give them that. So what was Japan like? You land in the airport. You come out. Let's talk about what it looked like landing in the airport and what does Japan look like at night? Any movie that you've seen that took place in Japan, that's exactly what it looks like. When you get off at the Tokyo airport, you know, it's a, it's a culture shock because everything is in Japanese. Nothing's in English. It's not until you get to the the tourist sections of the cities, do you have anything that's written in English or anybody that even speaks English, right? Other than that, you're trying to, to communicate using your hands and saying words real slow as if that's gonna help them understand even <laughs> any, any better. And um, everything is, is it's, it's a culture shock. Everything is in, in Japanese. So when we got to the first hotel that was booked, I mean, you know, apparently sight unseen, of course, you're booking a hotel. <laughs> this is funny. We go in these rooms and the tubs are like, the tubs are about three feet long. They about half the, the length of a regular bath. <laughs> bath or so they're about three feet long. And they're about 24 inches high. So to get in this tub, you got to um, you got to lift your leg way high to get in this tub. So <laughs> that was the first experience of the blaring cussing uh, that I heard from 
terrible when he walked in his room and saw that bathtub. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was like, I'm not standing here. Get me the F out of here. I'm not standing here. What is this tub? <laughs> He said, he said Must, nobody stays here but midgets. I can't fit in that, that tub. So we immediately were transported to another hotel that was Americanized. Some of the um, some of the people that worked the desk, they spoke a little bit of English. So we were able to interact with them a little bit at least. And they had normal size bathtubs. Uh, and their bathtubs are all jet stream. That was nice. Um, so we moved to another hotel. So that was night number one. And we had a the concert promoter in Japan. It's the same one that was on the movie. It was a hip-hop movie that came out several years back. Um, and I think Wu-Tang was in it. And But there was this concert promoter in Japan named Yuji. That was the same person that was promoting during the time that we were over there. And he was taking us around to different places to eat and stuff like that. So we're there and it is lit up. It is the, the at least maybe it was just the areas that we were in because we were in well-traveled areas where hotels were, where visitors were and stuff like that. Everything was lit up. Everything had big neon signs and Japanese. It looked like, like walking the streets at night was like walking a boulevard of just uh, affluence is all I can say. It was just lighting everywhere, all different color lights, uh, all different colors too. It was very strange, even purple, purple neon. And I'm like, wow, look at that purple neon sign, purple and yellow neon sign. That was pretty. And I'm looking around, I'm taking pictures and stuff. And it was it was quite an experience. It was quite an experience being in Tokyo. And then we uh, moved, went from Tokyo to Osaka. And what was interesting is I met a couple of uh, black, American black uh, owners over there that owned nightclubs, they owned restaurants. Some of them had previously been professional athletes and had suffered injuries early in their career. And they had taken their money and came over there and they had been over there for years, been over there for years. Some of them had taken wives over there and things like that. And they were successful businessmen over there. I met a couple of, I met a couple of, uh, uh, black American or American black pimps. I met, they were flourishing over there too. They were flourishing. And uh, I'm like, wow, this is kind of, this is kind of different. It's things that you just don't think about. You don't think about that you're gonna see a black man over in Japan flourishing in the restaurant business or being a club owner. You just don't think that you're gonna see that, but you see it. And um, it was that, and what else was going on? Oh, go ahead. So they had something over there called white slavery, allegedly. Allegedly they had white slavery. Let's talk about it. You had the two female dancers and they were from uh, casting, Disney casting, and what was happening with that over there? Uh, let's tell that story real quick. <laughs> so while we were on one of the buses in Japan, uh, going from one of the tour buses, going from one of the venues, Turbo was telling 
everybody that, you know, that he needed everybody to kind of stick together. He said, because uh, allegedly white slavery was going on over there. Well, basically it was a, a nice way of saying prostitution uh, where the the pro the uh, slaves of choice were white females, blonde hair, blue eyed, and what they would do is cut off half of their pinky finger to mark them as property or shadow or whatever. And so he had said that before. Now we had three females fitting that description on the tour. All of them were dancers. A set of them were twins, and then there was. The other one, the third one out that looked similar to them, she looked a lot like them, but she was a little bit older. She probably exceeded them in age by maybe 10 years. And, um, but the twins were just, they were very Disney. Just right where, from where they came from. Uh, hi, hi, oh my God, this is good, oh my God. You know, and so that right there, if y'all know me, I'm instantly irritated by all that high pitch, shrilling, talking and giggling and stuff like that. I'm automatically irritated by that. So I'm just sitting there like, oh, Lord, this is going to be a long ride. This is going to be a long ride. And so we are, we've done a couple of shows. And so now Yuji is taking us around for the nightlife after the shows. There's always after parties and and things like that. So he took us to this one place. This is where I, when I found out there was Black Pimps in Japan. So I was like, you know, this guy, he comes over and he's rubbing shoulders with us because he's thinking he's going to score either some drug sale use, you know, or he's going to score some, some something with his pimping, right? So uh, we're sitting there, and he's got a couple of women sitting there, and one of them gets up. Now, mind you, in my company, the people that I'm with, the musicians I'm with, one of the um, the musicians was a lesbian. I was not, you know, don't let this fool you. I've never had a confusion about my sexuality, um, uh, anything like that, all right? This is just a style. I like the style. So... You know, one of them was a lesbian, and but which is why I was perplexed that this woman gets up and she comes and she sits next to me, and she says, "Hi, hi, hi, hi," and I'm like, "Oh, hi," you know, I'm trying to be friendly, and she casually lays her head on my shoulder, so I'm looking like, "What the heck is going on here?" I'm looking, I'm puzzled. Now, the lesbian woman, she's cracking up. She is beside herself with laughter because she knows what's up. She knows what it means because she she was a well-traveled jazz um, keyboardist. And so she had been there before. So she knew the deal. She knew the drill. So she's laughing. She's having a ball. Her and the guitar player, they laughing at me because she told the guitar player what was up. They're laughing because the look on my face had to be like, my expression had to be like, you know. So I'm looking, I'm looking at this guy, and then he said something to her in Japanese. And instantly she became a product. Of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, you know, just be cool, you know, you sorry, just, just you know, take your head off my shoulder. Ain't nothing happening. 
I said, I told him, I said, tell her, ain't nothing happening. I don't, you know, then she gave me this card. It was an index card, like a, a flyer, a quarter page flyer. And it was a dress shop. And she said she owned that dress shop. He said she owned that dress shop. I'm like, she owned the dress shop and she's a prostitute? I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> I don't understand. So finally, you know, he asked, are y'all hungry? You know, I can... Uh, there's a Korean barbecue around the corner. Y'all hungry? I'm going to take y'all to. But he had the utmost respect for us in his in his actions. He didn't try nothing. He himself didn't try anything. And so we go walking. Now we got uh, this other, the older blonde-haired woman with us. She ditzy too. She's hot in the draws. Okay? She hot in the draws. And so she hanging all over him, <laughs> you know, hanging all over him. So again, I'm irritated, <laughs> I'm irritated. So we go, we following him, but I'm following at a, me and the uh, keyboard player and the guitar player, we're following, but we following at a distance because we need to be able to backtrack and duck on out of here. And so he takes us down this dark alley, ain't no lights in this alley. And that's just like in the movies. There's a lot of those those places in Japan where there's dark alleys and then you come out the end of the alley and it's lit up again. It's like why didn't you why couldn't you see the lights while you were in the alley though? That's the funny thing. But you walking down and we get like and here she is up there hanging on his arm. The blonde-haired chick hanging on his arm, leaning on like they like they uh a couple or something. And so we get to the end and it's all lit up and then a few steps further and we were at the Korean barbecue spot where they had fire pits in the middle of the table and they would bring you platters of, they'd ask you what kind of meat you wanted. They bring you platters of it and you cook it yourself and season it yourself right there at the table and they bring you bowls of rice and then you, know, you just cook the stuff yourself or eat it. They bring you bowls of rice and vegetables and you cook it yourself at the table. So that was interesting. You know, that was an interesting experience. And then I don't even know what happened to the 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 girl. I don't know. I think it was the keyboard player that told her to come on, let's go. And she was trying to go with the man. And she's like, you know, how stupid is that? Yeah, he was cool. He was, I believe, because I, I was the only black female and he was a black man. I believe it was my presence. They kept everybody cool because I was there. It was out of respect for me that he he was keeping everybody cool. So, you know, and here she is trying to go with him. Now that that would have been a wrap. Ain't nobody nobody would have known where she was at. You know, nobody would have known where she was at. Nobody knew where he was from and where he lived at. Nobody knew anything. She just gonna go with him. And so it took the keyboard player to say, "Come on, let's go." No, you you're not going. You're going back with us, you know. And she was really she had a little attitude about it. It's like really, I'm like boy, these people here. So where so where did the disagreement come in? Where was the when did it come to a head where it was where you were seen as the disagreeable bandmate? We know about the. No more cortisone shots. What else happened 
that led to it, then you head home and then you get the call. Well, you know, the cortisone shot thing was strike two, because remember strike one was I wasn't agreeable with the price they were offering me. That was strike one for the double duty. Strike two was the cortisone. Strike three, I believe, was personal between me and the uh, and Turbo's cousin who was on the road as a roadie. He was knocking on our room door at night and then he would like push his way in and walk around. This is what he would be doing because he was a big brute too. He was a big brute. And he, he'd come in. <laughs> So I'm looking at him like, you know, this is going to be a bad situation because he don't know me like that. See, on the tour, I was known, every, the sound man called me Sunshine. He said I, I lit up a room when I walked in and he would call me, he said, hi, Sunshine. He was from, he was from London. Sunshine, how are you, Sunshine? But they don't understand that Sunshine has another side. Sunshine will rain the wrath of hell on you if you do the wrong thing, all right? So he's coming in there doing all this intimidating looking stuff and you ain't intimidating nobody but them because I'm getting pissed off. And um, he was doing that more than once at night, like at two o'clock in the morning, knocking on the door. What you knocking on the door for at two o'clock in the morning? And so I had one other person in the room with me, but he was looked at me talking about something, what's up? I'm like, what you yeah, what's up? What you mean, what's up? Ain't nothing up. Alright then. And then he come knock again like it was gonna change from day to day. So I thought about something after the fact, and I only thought about it years later. I only thought about it only last year. It was him that called me and said that they were replacing me on the tour. I never had the mind to think about, maybe I just didn't care that much, but I never had the mind to say, why wasn't it the manager that was calling me? What if that individual called me and I didn't show up and I was a no-show? That's what I thought about last year because people do dirty things, you know, they do dirt. But then I was thinking, how would he have gotten my phone number unless they gave it to him? Well, there's a lot of ways. If you sneaking around and you going and you're devising a scheme, it's a lot of ways. It very well could have been because that was a job for management to call and tell me, not him. You were just a roadie. You really were. I mean, you were his cousin, but you were a roadie. You were not in that position. So, but I just took that word for it, maybe because, I, like I said, I didn't care about it that much. But I never had the mind to think to call the manager and re-verify that information. I just never thought about it. So I very well could have appeared as a no-show. And, uh, and that probably, more than likely, was what that was. That's probably what that was. See, people will do things to you when you will not be agreeable but let me tell you what i have on my side nobody ever has a testimony on me of being used out on the road nobody 
nobody has a testimony on me of being a drug influenced or addicted out on the road. Nobody. Nobody has a testimony on me of being a pushover where business is concerned, even if I didn't know the right form of payment. I knew what I did know also is I wasn't a unionized musician. So whatever I agreed upon was what it was. I didn't have a right to demand a certain price because I was not in a musician's union. So I didn't know that much. And I think they were purposely getting musicians that were not in the union so that they could pay them a little lower because they were in a financial strait uh, with this tour to pull this tour off. But nobody has that testimony in me. To me, that is more than its weight and gold. To be able to look in this camera, to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know, that that my hands are clean and you're not getting nothing off on me for the for the love of money and money don't rule me. I rule money, money don't rule me. Mm, mm, mm. Which gets us to the monkey on the back. You see, well, my sister illustrates to you in this uh, narrative and the uh, telling of this experience is that she successfully kept the monkey off the back. But let's look at the definition monkey on the back means to have an addiction that one cannot control or to be addicted to drugs or suffering uh, withdrawal from a drug addiction. The origin of this idiom may be the stories of Sinbad, the earliest known works are from the 17th century. Get the monkey off one's back. What is the definition of that phrase? To remove or solve a problem that has been difficult to get rid of or solve. To get rid of a problem or situation that makes one unhappy and that lasts for a long time. He finally got the monkey off his back and kicked his drug addiction. So you see, this story is still a harrowing, a harrowing tale because there were many places, pitfalls, which will lead us into our situation. So what did the discussion that we had earlier have to do with what we're talking about now. What, what, what does that have to do with it, right? Uh, Wendy Williams and them needing to have an intervention, appearing to need to have an intervention for her life. The possibilities and probabilities is high that you will succumb to the pressures of needing to push above and beyond and the show must go on no matter what, that you will fall victim and be that what you did not intend to be, which would be an 
addict, all right? Now, when I was 12 years old, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again, right? When I was 12 years old, I had asked my mother, I said, let me go with my cousin, because my mother and father had this car called a Riviera. They had the first one that had come out, the latest model, right? And this particular cousin of mine just begged for that car and begged for that car and begged for that car. So what my parents did, because they had bought the La Sabre, right? They had bought the La Sabre and they, you know, kept the Riviera instead of trading it in to going on ahead and pretty much unbeknownst to him, give it to him for just working on a part on the car. I forget what the part was. It was insignificant. So I had asked him, I said, let me ride and you know where you go get the part. Okay, so we're riding, right? And so we're coming off a, we're coming down off a, a Route 8. There's that little ramp that's in between there. The Harley Davidson store was right there. They moved farther back down Route 8 now, but they, they were right there. And he was coming along there, coming down to Warrensville Center Road, and he was going up in his visor, and he had something in aluminum foil in the visor, and he was going to get it. I said, what's that? He said, I, I never get a chance to use it when my, uh, my wife and daughter is in the car, right? And I looked at him and I said, don't let something that someone do make another person lose respect for that person. That's exactly how I read it. I've always had a way, a phraseology about my words that are not the average way of saying, don't do that, do that. I used one, I said, don't let one lose respect for another one who does something that they don't expect to do, something like that. And so he looked at me and he put it back up there. I, I never knew what it was. I never saw what it was, right? But this is, but then my mom's had laced my boots. She had told me, she said, older people are into things that younger people are not into or should not be into. And that's why my mother did not believe it. But the very time that she did, she relented. And of course, I went back. I said, you know, he tried to do that. He said, well, you'll never ride with him. And I said, I didn't want to because actually I had lost respect for him because I'm 12. I'm a 12-year-old kid. You do not do something like that with a 12-year-old kid. And if you are, you are scum. And it means that your mentality is that of a 12-year-old yourself, even though you're an older man, just like R. Kelly on the first 12-play album was talking about when he was 14 and the girls were 14 and they didn't want to talk to him, but now they do. We didn't know that he wasn't saying that the girls moved from 14, like he moved from 14 into his 20s and now they want to talk to him. Now, that's how I took it. But now, he, but what he was really saying was that I'm stuck at 14 for some reason mentally. And now the 14-year-olds want to talk to me now that I'm 21. 
You understand? So, I mean, this is real. This is real serious. Look at this. Look at this. They're trying to clip me here. I don't know what's going on. What did I say? What did I say? I'm just talking about decency. And you, Facebook wants to clip me over decency? We're talking decency. So this is real sick. That things that harmed you when you were a child, you're supposed to be able to compartmentalize them and move forward. Learn from them and move forward. I was 12, but I knew then that I did not want to be around someone ever again because, because you did not have respect enough for my age or me just being your cousin. And many people go that DMX as a young kid, you know, he had a bad situation at home with his moms. They're trying to clip us, trying to clip us. He had a bad situation by the Rough Rider documentary that's on BET. He had a bad situation at home, so he was finding people to connect with outside the home because he was being raised by a single parent, by a mom, and the mom seemed to not care much for him. So he was out there and he looked up to this older dude and the dude was smoking a cigarette and gave it to him. And he said he took it and he went, woo. And then he said, what is that? And he said, it's a woolly. A uh, cigarette mixed with cocaine. He said, why would you do that? I looked up to you. Why would you do that? And he was hooked ever since then. Do you understand? So when you're in the music business and to keep things going, they will shoot you with different things that will have a side effect. And then you need something else for a side effect. And it gets into needing Pain relievers. Pain relievers. Which brings us to the presentation that we have edited up today. We're going to take this because this is going to be a part three to possibilities and probabilities tomorrow because we're going to be doing the parallel. What was happening while my sister was on tour? What was I doing in Cleveland, Ohio? So we're gonna keep going as we go through this parallelism, right? Now look, this brings us to the presentation that yours truly has edited up to be succinct about the use of pain relievers. What's going on out there? today. So here we go, but we, we we juxtapose with something from yesterday and how it applies to today as we tell this story. So here we go. And the next slide uh, is one uh, that shows the appearance of a young person who has died from an overdose uh, of narcotics. Uh, pulmonary edema develops very acutely and uh, the edematous fluid, the frothy fluid, oozes out of the mouth uh, and uh, the nostrils and uh, it almost has the appearance of a, a freshly drowned uh, uh, body. There's tremendous uh, congestion and edema that comes on very suddenly 
and uh, these people die uh, with that uh, uh, finding not infrequently. Now, of course, if that's wiped away a number of times, it won't reform, but if you uh, have a chance to uh, see the body undisturbed, uh, this is uh, not an uncommon uh, sight. Okay, so I was in the second grade on the west side on Bird of Rose. Sometimes it would be too cold to go outside for recess during the winter time. So for some reason, the brainiacs in the schoolhouse showed us a film similar to this about heroin overdoses. And what they show you there is mild. The congestion and all the pomodema and all that that they're talking about there, that's mild in the one that I found for this presentation today. Because they showed you, I mean, people who were laid in the bed on their stomach and their whole, whole throat was expanded and the throw up that had dried, had misformed their mouth and their mouth was open and it was just throw up and everything and they had died like that, suffocated, right? I mean, this is during the recess, after you eat lunch, then they will play a film. They also played a film about a mime that learned how to mime from another mime and then he started stealing from, uh, stealing from gas stations by doing mime tricks. But anyway, that was another movie for another time. I don't even know what the name of that movie was, but. <laughs> They showed us this film. Now we are second grade. And you know what it taught me? It said, I never want to get high. I, I got the message. I got the message when later later on, when, when uh, old girl uh, Reagan's wife, meanwhile, he's funding the crack, funding uh, Iran Contra with the crack sales, the Ray Rock sales, the cocaine sales. But she said, just say no. And I heard her and, and they had the other one. This is your brain on drugs. So coupled with having my boots laced already and then watching this film and seeing just say no and this is your brain on drugs. When that came around at 12 years old, my boots were laced. I'd already seen some things. And I said, I love myself too much to end up like, rest in peace, Whitney Houston. My sister on tour, once she found out what, and I'm sure that's how it starts for singers. Oh, they shoot it a couple of times, then there's some side effects and some pain, then they need to get a painkiller to be able to go on stage. They got to pop. Look at Elvis. They talk about, they, they trying to clean Elvis up now, but the early films right after he died, they started telling a story about him popping pills. It's a pain thing. I need to manage my pain. And there are all yes people around just like what is being reported about Wendy Williams right now. We are in the middle of seeing a, a, a devastating, a, a travesty, really, right? Because it's about pain relief. And if I'm going to go out here and perform and be good for the people, I need my pain relievers. 
And after a while, what the person was pushing them on, then they demand from the person that pushed it on them to keep going. And they know that they have created a reciprocal monster of uh, infinity within a circle. It's a self-prophesying and fulfilling end, right? And if you are not willing to do that, then it's possibly best that you remain uh, independent and do your thing yourself. You move when you move. You move when you don't want to move. And that is the luxury. But do you really want to be in this business? So let's continue. Let's see what, what, where pain relievers come from. Speaking of, let, let's speak in on heroin. Uh, specifically. Heroin is an illegal pain-killing opioid used for its euphoric effects. The root of all opioids is the opium poppy plant. Opium poppy has been cultivated for thousands of years and was known to the ancient Sumerians as the plant of joy. Opium poppy is used to create morphine which is then further refined to create heroin. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse in 2015, over 4 million people over the age of 12 had used heroin at some point in their life. Over the age of 12 have used heroin sometimes in life. I was 12 going on 13. I was 12 going on 13. Something in aluminum foil. Something in aluminum foil. I was 12 going on 13. Statistics say that no good older relatives, older friends of the family, older such and such, no good get younger people started on drugs. What do you got to say to that? You know, I was 16 when my mother um, decided to, she, she loosened the reins a little bit and she would let me go, you know, more places and do more things at that age. So I was 16 also uh, with some cousins, one on one side of the family, one on the other side of the family, one law enforcement. <laughs> That's the first time I was offered weed too. I was 16. And you would think because one person was law enforcement, I'm sure that would be one of the reasons why mom would think Oh, that would be halfway okay. You know, that's, that's, you know, my niece, she's law enforcement. That should be a safe, a safe situation. But that's exactly how it happens. A friend of the family 
an older family member. That's why our mother was very careful about letting us hang out with older pe people older than us or outside of our age group. It's just that I was almost grown. So she was loosening the reins a little bit because after a while you have to begin to have some trust in what you put into your children, you know, but it's the same difference. You get around people that's doing it and they want to offer it to you. And why would they do that? Well, I mean, I wonder why it's not the natural inclination of a person to say, well, my aunt is like X, Y, Z and she's trusting me with her child, her offspring. So I'm going to do, whether I do this or not, I'm going to do what's right by her. Why wouldn't that be your natural line of reasoning, your natural line of thought? But it's not. And so people, particularly those of you who have children or offspring that's, that wants to be in the music industry, you need to be at their side you need to be at their side so that there's no opportunity and you need to have enough discipline and intestinal and testicular fortitude to say no to the dollar if the terms of agreement and the terms are not right. You have to have enough intestinal fortitude to turn down the money because the minute you consent to something foul because of the money or be willing to turn your head because of the money, However you start a thing is how you got to maintain it. So it's an endless rabbit hole. It'll never end. Okay, so today, you know, you let them take your, your underage daughter and have sex with her. Tomorrow, you having sex with them. The next day, they're sodomizing your son. The next day, where does the rabbit hole stop? Where does it stop? If you don't have any kind of morals or any kind of boundaries where you say, uh, that right there, that's not going to fly. This is about my daughter singing or my son singing. Anything else is off the table. And that's off the table, too. That's off the table, too. Them singing for you. Listen, I'm the type of person, I will tell you something. I don't give two, I don't give one turd from a baby mouse's behind about a contract when dirt comes up in the game. I will walk away. I'll be like, so sue me. Hey, you can't get juice out of Turner. What you gonna do, sue me? All you can do is file a judgment in the court and that judgment be against my record. But to think that you would have me over a barrel, that would never happen. I don't care about no contract. If some dirt come up in the game, I'll walk away from everything without batting my eye. Without batting the eye. Listen, what is the possible possible probability that if your young son or daughter is around someone that is an older relative that they won't be propositioned to use? won't be proposition for other things. The probability is high that that will happen, so you must protect your children. You must protect your children. Your children will, will sing your praises, even if they complain when they're young, but they will see and will thank you for not allowing them to be 
scarred because once they are scarred, it's hard to get rid of an addiction. Once you are scarred, it's hard to not have it affect your mind where you need to have an addiction. It's hard for it not to affect you where you don't need to talk about it. Just ask Jack Wire Wright. For an example, let's continue. And not only is heroin highly addictive, it's also extremely hazardous to users. So as heroin becomes more popular, there are more heroin-related deaths, especially ones caused by an overdose. An overdose occurs when more heroin is used than the body can handle. But what exactly happens during an overdose? Why is it so dangerous? Well, it's all because of how heroin affects the central nervous system. I should like to devote the next two periods to a discussion of deaths from narcotic addiction, the incidence of which has increased tremendously in the last few years and which also has increased uh, greatly in the younger age groups. Uh, there's some very bizarre cases and uh, I won't be able to go into all of them. Heroin slows down the central nervous system and inhibits pain receptors, which creates a feeling of euphoria. Now the first one uh, that I'm showing here uh, is a body of a uh, man about 35 uh, who died from an overdose of narcotic and uh, you can see that his forearm is uh, not on the floor of this elevator. This body has been dragged into an elevator in this uh, apartment house uh, which had seen uh, uh, better days. Now, this man evidently died in one of the rooms in this apartment house and the body was then uh, pulled into the elevator. But it must have been dead for some time in the other location uh, because the rigor mortis here is completely developed and is in a position which could not, it could not, the body could not assume uh, after death. Breathing and heart rate slow down in response to the depression. This can cause heroin users to fall asleep. While sleeping, lungs and heart rate slow even further. Oxygen levels drop. The body essentially forgets that it's supposed to be breathing. Victims then die from lack of oxygen in their body. The first three minutes are the most important for someone who is overdosing. In the first three minutes without breathing, if someone is resuscitated, they can hope to walk away unscathed. Now here's another uh, bizarre case uh, of an addict found seated uh, on the steps of a, uh, uh, between floors of a tenement house. Uh, the legs are uh, contorted under him, the shirt is opened, and he has a wad of paper toweling in his mouth, pushed way down. When these people die, they develop a very severe and copious acute pulmonary edema, and they froth at the mouth. And other persons who are with them uh, try to correct this situation by using Kleenex and uh, various types of paper toweling, and sometimes in their efforts to help, uh, they actually assist in making uh, the process irreversible if it wasn't that uh, to start with. But after three minutes, that hope diminishes. After five to 10 minutes of not breathing, severe permanent brain damage takes effect. So even if someone survives the overdose, they can be permanently disabled. So how do you know if someone is having an overdose? There are several signs that someone is overdosing. The most common are slow, shallow breathing, or not breathing at all, bluish skin and lips and blue nails, weak pulse, and small pinpoint pupils. Now here's an addict who died in bed. The apparatus is on the bed alongside of him and evidently uh, he uh, suffered an overdose uh, uh, and uh, the, the apartment is just, the scene is just as it was uh, when he died. And uh, this uh, happens to have belonged to a well-to-do addict uh, uh, who had a, an inexhaustible supply of money to spend on this and uh, uh, he lived in a hovel 
in a very bare room uh, down uh, on the, around uh, the Bowery and had many people uh, waiting on him because he had money not only to keep himself in drugs but to keep a lot of other people in drugs. Now, this uh, uh, cloisonne uh, medicine box is filled with pure amphetamine and uh, this is one of the syringes that he used, the needles and so on. While heroin is dangerous on its own, it's more dangerous in the presence of other drugs. Even someone with a high tolerance to heroin and other opioids can die from what is called polydrug use. Many people have heard the term speedballing. This is a mixture created by combining heroin with a stimulant like cocaine. He was also addicted to uh, marijuana. This bag of marijuana weighed about uh, 10 pounds and uh, you could see what that would be worth uh, in the uh, open market after being made into uh, uh, used as pot by uh, the people who use it. This combo is incredibly euphoric, but it's also incredibly lethal. And deadly combinations don't have to be so intense. Just having a few beers in combination with heroin can cause an overdose. This contributes to why so many experienced heroin users have overdoses. They feel comfortable with the amount of heroin they use, but the high isn't as dramatic as when they first started. They look to drinking or using other drugs to get a better high which can cause more damage than using heroin alone. And the next slide uh, is one uh, that shows the appearance of a young person who has died from an overdose uh, of narcotic. Uh, pulmonary edema develops very acutely and uh, the edematous fluid, the frothy fluid, oozes out of the mouth uh, and uh, the nostrils and uh, it almost has the appearance of a uh, freshly drowned uh, uh, body. There's tremendous uh, congestion and edema that comes on very suddenly, and uh, these people die uh, with that uh, uh, finding not infrequently. Now, of course, if that's wiped away a number of times, it won't reform, but if you uh, have a chance to uh, see the body undisturbed, uh, this is uh, not an uncommon uh, sight. Not an uncommon sight, right? So, this is the pain reliever heroin, right? You know, same thing of meth and betamine. What is that? Uh, what is that? Fentanyl, right? So when I saw this as a kid, I mean, it wasn't that this exact film, but when I saw this, I said, hey. <coughs> Just say no. That's right. Just say no. <laughs> you know, this is your brand on drugs, and I, you know, I don't want to choke and do all that. So, look, what is the possibilities and probabilities? You see, my sister had a strong anchor at home, a strong home life. There are people who don't have strong home lives, but they have to find in themselves the strength and the fortitude to say, nah. Listen, I have often been the disagreeable bandmate. I have often been the disagreeable <laughs> bandmate. Because you're not going to just tell me just anything. I've had, I've had people who got upset with me. I remember I had this one group I was producing early on. I mean, this this continues to happen because I am the disagreeable bandmate because what you are saying to me doesn't make sense. I had this one group of people telling me, well, we're going to see you at the Grammys. And they, they were talking about, we want we want the the DAT tape. I say, uh, you don't get the DAT tape. I say, whoever owns the master 
is the master. And so I'm owning all that, right? He said, we're gonna see you at the Grammy. I saw him later, <sighs> pain relievers later. I said, wow, ain't that something? I'm just not the agreeable bandmate. I'm just not gonna be the agreeable bandmate. Oh, you smoke? Oh, you go on over there and do that. I'll see you in a bit. I, I love myself too much for that. You understand what I'm saying to you? He said he had 10 pounds of weed. He was addicted to weed. People are addicted to weed. Don't think that you aren't. That's a denial. That's a denial. And many times when that high does not high anymore and you have to extend through all the different strands and it doesn't get you, you need something else. You need a pain reliever. And we're not talking about buffering, Tylenol, ibuprofen, Aleve, or Midol. We're talking about something that will get you there and give you the illusion of being in relief, but it will shut down your respiratory system. Did you get into the music industry to have to take pain relievers to relieve your pain while you're supposedly giving joy to people through your talent? Part two, possibilities and probabilities, the disagreeable bandmate. Most people like, the, the way I am, I don't say everything that I do. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't let everybody know, but you see this? This is my platinum plaque. You understand? I help sell so many of these records in my record store day, right? This is my platinum plaque issued by the RIAA, right? I don't put those things up, but I don't put those things up too often. But when I say something to someone, I obviously know how to sell records. If I give a suggestion, I know how to do it, but I don't wear it on my sleeve and I don't say. I see people who have organizations and it took a whole organization to get this. A whole bunch of people in an organization and they're proud to have that up there under that organizational name. This is under my, I made an organization and it's under my name. You see? So, when we're coming here and bringing you and disseminating information, it is information being brought to you by people who have experience and who have lived at a high level, but yet we don't wear it on our sleeves because we don't suffer from low self-esteem. So that's why there's no pain relievers because me when I saw that movie second grade I mean I'm, I'm surprised everybody had good constitutes because nobody was up chucking because they showed you the throw and the neck expanding the eyes bulging I mean way worse than 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 what we just showed you that's a lightweight 
But you saw the little stuff in the dude's mouth and coming out his nose. Ugh, who wants to end like that? You've been given life to live for your 70 score plus and you would end it in such arrogance to think that you would be invincible for something that has taken other people out just to entertain. We told you this story today so that you would have reference so that when you Watch this, you say, oh, when they come up and say that, hey, man, you know, I, that's going to get me addicted on something. We're going to do something else. So we're going to shut down for a month and get this underway. But I'm not going to be pressured. I'm not going to do that. Because if you do and you don't have that strong family foundation, you will go the way of so many Billy. You'll go the way of Billy, Lady Day. You'll go her way. You'll go the way of Whitney. You'll go her way. You'll go the way of Bobby Christina. You'll go her way. Just, just go through all the people. You'll go, you'll go their way. Right? The possibilities of getting hooked is high, and the probabilities that you will die young. is very incredibly high but you know what's even worse than dying young is suffering as an addict old being a functional addict let me okay, say something yeah, yeah i'm getting ready to bring you in i was getting ready to say oh, but okay. i'm telling you this is a high power high powered episode today i mean a lot of information disseminated True life stories and part three tomorrow as we go through some things, things to look out for while you're in the business of show, the business of music. You know, uh, we were fortunate. We often talk about our parents, but now some of you are past that point. You're an adult. You're out there on your own, but you can develop this constitution for yourself. You have to um, live life in dualities because there are some things where I always question myself. I say, well, like when I was at Berkeley, there was a brother there. He had holes in his shoes because he wouldn't he was not going to work a part time job or a full time job or nothing while he was in school. His whole thing was the music, the music, the music. And though. I have the passion for the music. I also, I have other gifts um, that's not just music. You know, I write um, and I also speak. So it's not just the music, but an education in a trade or an education in something else other than that is something that you're going to need to have because you want to be able to write your own ticket. Keep this in mind. You want to be able to write your own ticket and you want to be able to get yourself out from under the feet of people where you are subservient to nobody. You do what you want to do. You make the decisions you want to make. If you want to take a gig, you can take it. If you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. So I spent time positioning myself 
to be able to call my shots. I really don't particularly like being told what to do. But at when I am a subordinate, I function in the position of a subordinate within reason. You understand if I'm working for a corporation, working for a company, I'm going to do what I'm hired to do. And I'm functioning as a subordinate, though I don't like being told what to do. I'm always the type of person to supervisor and management stuff, you know, and usually I rise to that in those organizations. But I found a certain level of ineptness mentally with a lot of people that were over me. And I decided I did not want to end my life retiring from anywhere uh, where I got to deal with substandard. Uh, mental capacities that think there's something that they're not. I don't, that, that's important to me. So I position myself where I could come off a traditional nine to five and do all my work from home. I don't have to be bothered, right? I position myself for that. So if you want to position yourself to be able to call your shots in this industry, you're going to have to develop some personal boundaries for yourself. Drugs are a no-no. Picking up women and men on the gig is a no-no. You're working. You don't have time to entertain. You didn't already did your entertainment time on the stage. Ain't no time to entertain after the entertainment. Okay? You're going to have to develop some, some, some fortitude. You're going to have to develop some things and some worthiness. It's like peeling back the layer of an onion to put things in place that you don't naturally have. But you're going to have to develop these things. Listen, man, it's only so much butt out there, all right? And it's all going, and I'm, I take the kids out the room. It's all going to feel the same because of the friction you're going to bust anyway. It doesn't matter which one. It just all has a different face. So stop doing that. Stop doing that. You're risking pregnancies, STDs, and you're taking away, you're lessening your your trade value. I mean, you, you're lessening yourself as an individual, throwing your body around, thinking you, you macking or maxtress. You know, you're throwing your body around and you're lessening your own value because when it comes to a person that's upstanding who wants to marry somebody, they don't want to marry somebody that's been community property. All right? So you're going to have to live life in parallels. You got to think about what's going to happen when the music stops. When the music stops, who are you? When the music stops, who what before the music begins, who are you? Because whoever you are is who comes to that table of contracts. Whoever you are is going to settle. If you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for any and everything. And we have this saying, the whole world is a stage. The whole world is a stage for people who like to act, for people who like to wear masks, for people who are not being genuine. The world is a stage. My world is a landscape. So you're going to have to make up your mind. If you Listen, this is a new breed. This is the reason why I learned years ago. I knew years ago the industry was going to have, suffer a paradigm shift. It was going to be turned upside down. The, the exposures of uh, Jaguar Wright and the things that she went through and the things that she's going after. She's going after this stuff at the risk of her life. She got a $500,000 price tag on her head, allegedly, for the stuff that she's putting out. Now, who do you suppose got that price tag out there? Only so many people can afford to pay that. So that would have to be executives who have that price tag out there. 
because it's affecting their business now. But it's got to flip because these are our gifts that God gave us. And people got the, the mitigated goal to pimp us for them, get us strung out on drugs so that we can keep on, you know, functioning as the marionette, get you uh, all hooked on all kinds of stuff. They don't care about you. Michael Jackson told you they don't really care about us. He told you that. And then they proved it to him. So what are you going to do? We're trying to share things with you. The same thing we did with every other subject and topic that we've been on for the past uh, couple of months. We are trying to educate you to put you in a better position. But you have to have the mind to listen and to apply. The scripture says a fool despises wisdom. And if you cannot hear it, and if you cannot endure sound doctrine, if you cannot endure sound teaching and sound reasoning for the price of fame, some people are addicted to fame. Some people are addicted to fortune. You're addicted in one way or another. Anytime you say, I can't stop doing this, I can't stop. I, is it, it's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. That is the, the matter. Will or won't. It's a matter of will. So if you don't have any kind of, of boundaries or any kind of things set with you, don't you know they know that when you come to that table? They know before they sit to develop a contract with you, they've had conversation with you. When they have conversation, there's certain key words and trigger words and trigger phrasing that they use. They know depending on your reaction and your yay or nay, whether you're gonna be amicable to certain situations and they're gonna push that envelope as far as they can push it to get as much as they can get for the least amount of giving back as they can. So if you have no boundaries and no constitution within, you just a sitting duck and you'll look up and you'll fall for anything. Your thing might not be drugs, it might be sex. It may not be sex. It may be any other level of indulgences. Maybe it's just plain old pride. You like the, the, the fact of being up top and being on top and being able to say, I have this and I have that. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And it happens every time. That is a scripture that never does not fulfill itself. It always does. It always does. Ego and pride will take you down before anything else. Taking the regular new mind frame. I'm catching a migraine. So, My brain strains like the day the lyrical shooter day after day. Alright, so as we close out, right? We close out, let you know. This was part two possibilities and probabilities. The disagreeable bandmate. But was it really the disagreeable bandmate? Or is it part three tomorrow? Possibilities and probabilities. The disagreeable people. Disagreeable people in this game that we see here. It's called the business of music, the business of show. And you know, like we told you yesterday. It's good to have your own your masters on all that so that you can go and say, hey, there's no killing what can be killed, right? Right? 
and then you can go right over to Apple Music and download these joints. Or Google Music or your favorite music provider. You can go download these, right? So th this is what it is, people. We're stressing being independent, and you will always be able to win as an independent. But if so, make sure that you do not fall into the problem. It's better to be the disagreeable bandmate than to be the agreeable addict, right? It's better to be the disagreeable bandmate than to be the agreeable addict. People, we have enjoyed bringing this to you today, bringing you these perspectives, our opinions, our observations, on observations, hashtag observations, TFR podcast, episode 45, by Crazy Steve with my special guest host, my sister Tanya M. Congress. We come on Monday through Friday, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Tune in on the Film Review Life channel. Make sure you go there, press subscribe, press like on this episode, and subscribe and share this out to your people. Tag your people in it. We bring the information that you need to know to help you move forward so you have your mind state and not a mind set on that constant wheel, right? We appreciate you, man. On Sundays, 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 p.m. Eastern is... Hashtag TFR Podcast Live, The Film Review, Movies, Music, Culture, Politics, Society Podcast. And we got a lot of great things coming up. Make sure you go to dollar sign TFR Podcast Live on Cash App and drop a few dollars there. We appreciate you. We make sure we bring you quality programming to show you how much quality programming to show you how we appreciate you. It's just the hip-hop way in me to be greater than what I did last time. And so that's what it is, people. So we appreciate you. And this has been episode number 45. Can you believe it? Already episode 45. That is 90 hours. So it's a two-hour show. 90 hours. We, we, we appreciate you taking the time to watch us, and we, we love bringing this information to you. So stay tuned, because we're never on that hamster where we're constantly moving forward. We will see you tomorrow with part three, possibilities and probabilities, disagreeable people, on episode 46 of hashtag observations. TFR by Crazy D with my special guest host, Tanya M. Congress. We'll see you again tomorrow. You're talking about Germany, why I made the curator's pick of the Hollywood French community. Unity, 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 heart, heart, heart. Crazy, 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 crazy.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.